This is a throwdown, a showdown. Hell no, Rob Fay Nation can't slow down. It's gonna go. What is going on? I'm Rob Fay. Welcome to Sports Bar Radio. It is Monday, the 13th day of September. Your kids are back at school. Maybe you're picking them up, and I have caught you at the perfect time. Yeah, you and me are gonna do the commute here for about the next 25, 30 minutes, and what a week. I mean, thinking about everything that happened on the weekend is one thing, but we've still got a lot still to come down the pipe in the next couple of days, including a Monday nighter that involves the Raiders. We got the baseball postseason looming, and we've got a bunch of teams fighting for wild cards and division titles, including the Mariners and Blue Jays. And we will also get into the world of hockey and so much more. But there is one story that always rises above the rest, as the great macho man Randy Savage once says, the cream always rises to the top. So let me get you to that one story that just sticks out above the rest. Let me get you to the lead. We've scoured the globe for the stories that matter to you. Okay, well, let's be honest. Rob picks most of the stories, so maybe they matter more to him? Anyways, pull up a chair and let our bartender pour you a cold one because there's a lot going on in your world today. Well, for many of us fantasy football players, week one of the NFL was the story of the weekend. But I would be absolutely remiss if I didn't focus one last time on the U.S. Open to see Leila Fernandez lose in the final to Emma Raducanu was saddening, wasn't it? You would love to see Cinderella slip on the glass shoe and walk away with a prince. But I will tell you this, Emma Raducanu wins the championship. She is the U.S. Open 2021 champion. But I don't know anybody in this tournament that won over tennis more than Leila Fernandez. She won over New York for doing the little thing. She had this sweet, hard-fighting demeanor about her. And you know what? She absolutely had New York City and the entire country of Canada in the palm of her hand. But what made her so impressive? More than just backhands and slices and big serves and return volleys was the fact that she understood the magnitude of the moment. You don't usually find a player this far down the rankings totem pole that can play on a big stage and own the moment. She did not win the U.S. Open Championship, but because of moments like this, it's impossible not to love her. I know this, on this day, it was especially hard for New York and everyone around the, the United States. I just want to say that I hope I can be as strong and as resilient as New York has been the past 20 years. Thank you for always having my back. Thank you for cheering for me. I love you, New York, and hope to see you next year. Absolutely perfect. In New York, and she takes a moment to acknowledge everything that has happened in that city, in that community, over the past 20 years. It was perfect. And I'll tell you this, and I know that I shouldn't say this on the heels of such a heartfelt speech, but you got to be thinking that the sponsors are going to be lining up at the trough for Layla Fernandez. And rightly so. Now, she does jump up in the rankings, 
to number 28 in the world. That was a big weekend, a big two weeks for Layla Fernandez. There is still work to be done, but the beauty of it all is she is 19 years old. She made a little bit of money as well. She made a million dollars for being in the final at the US Open. That will help with training and everything that she's about to take on because the expectation for Layla Fernandez, along with the fact that she has now added her name to the Bouchards of the world, to the Andrescu's of the world. Oh yeah, she's a player now. She didn't just make it to the final of some tournament. She made it to the final of the United States Open. And now the world is watching. But what's good about this situation is she is not alone. She is not the anomaly. Tennis and Tennis Canada is really having a renaissance moment. I mean, when I was a kid, I remembered it was Carlene Bassett and Hurricane Helen Kelsey. And it was great to see these two young female tennis players coming up. But the reality is, is it was an anomaly. But the steady flow of high-end Canadian talent over the last seven to eight years makes you realize that Canada isn't that far off the beaten path. They're not just competing. Much like in golf, they're competing and winning. That is the difference and the reason that I think right now sponsorship and overall patriotism in Canadian tennis might find its way to an all-time high. This was awesome because we got to see a virtual unknown dazzle everybody in the span of two weeks. Will we see Leila Fernandez back at the championship next year? It's a tough road to get there. She got past Naomi Osaka in the third round to get to this final. But all the big names are going to be back at the next tournament and the tournament after that. So my hope is that we don't forget about Leila Fernandez if she doesn't make it to the Australian Open final or she doesn't make it to the final at Roland Garros or wherever she finds herself in the next major tournament. But this, in its own moment, for what it was, was unbelievably special. We haven't had many moments. There were a couple of moments at the Olympic Games where, yes, we did feel some patriotism. When we saw our women's soccer team win gold, that was a big deal. But this individual talent, what we saw from Leila Fernandez, was really extraordinary. A teenage girl in a sport that isn't one of the big four in North America, not one of the big four in Canada, stepping to the forefront with this presence and yet this vibrancy and ability to almost have a sixth sense to understand the magnitude of the moment won over the entire nation. Couldn't be happier to see the depth that Canadian tennis has right now. All right, let's look at the other side of the story, all right? We got to, you know what? Remember this moment in a couple from now because I got to talk about Aaron Rodgers. I got to talk about the Yankees and the Mets. All of the doom and gloom, it's on the other side. But let's get you to that one room here in the sports bar where we keep all of those emotions, all of the news of the weekend and what's coming down the pipe. Let me get you into the VIP room. You knew tonight was going to be a good night, didn't you? Guys, the ladies don't want you wasting their time, so get to the point. 10 topics, 10 minutes. Hold on to your drinks because we're about to bring you the entire world of sports before the DJ can pull out the vinyl for his next set. Welcome to the VIP room. All right, I know we can't close the book on week one just yet. Later on tonight, Raiders in action, the Monday nighter. But man, the storylines coming out of week one already make your head scratch. Here's the good, the bad, and the ugly. The good? Well, if you're a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan, you're thinking repeat because they looked fantastic. Taking on the Dallas Cowboys, and you got to remember, a lot of this championship team is back. Tom Brady's here, Gronk, Leonard Fournette, Shaquille Barrett, Antonio Brown, all of them ready to go. And Tom Brady, awesome. 
four touchdown passes with Brown, Godwin, and Gronk all catching at least one of them. Antonio Brown looked really good. This might have gotten swept under the rug the most of week one. He had 121 yards and 24 yards per catch. And as for Tom Brady, I don't know what he's drinking, but I will take a double of it because he looked as if he was 34 and not 44. Of all the marquee quarterbacks that we saw in action this week, sure, there might be a couple of guys that had better numbers, but nobody looked more complete than Tom Brady. Now, will they go on and win that second in a row? I'm not sure, because another team that I think is going to fly under the radar, but not for long, is the Arizona Cardinals. Boy, they looked good. And Kyler Murray is for real. 21 of 32, 289 yards and four touchdowns, just one pick as they absolutely dismantled the Tennessee Titans 38-13. DeAndre Hopkins with a couple of touchdowns in this one. Christian Kirk had two, and the defense for Arizona looked nasty as well. To the NFC East, Jalen Hurts answers the bell. 27 to 35, 264 in the air, three touchdowns to three different players. And if the Eagles can stay healthy, that is a division that is ripe for the picking. Joe Burrow coming back off that injury, and man, did he look good. 20 to 27 for the Cincinnati Bengals, 261 through the air, a couple of touchdowns as well. They needed overtime, did Cincinnati, but they get the win over the Minnesota Vikings. Glass half empty crowd, they blew a 21 7 lead. The glass half full crowd, is that the Bengals got a win and are off on the right foot in the AFC North. And the Green Bay Packers, I have to bring it up, got absolutely hammered at the hands of the New Orleans Saints, 38-3. Now, a couple of storylines here. New Orleans had to find a home away from home as they were dealing with the remnants of bad weather out there in the southeast. But Green Bay, the story has always been about Aaron Rodgers. And a lot of pundits are using the word uninterested, unmotivated, and checked out. Those are not good words to talk about a guy that just a couple of months ago was an MVP, but the numbers speak for themselves. Packers were 1 for 10 in their third down efficiency. Aaron Rodgers, one of the best quarterbacks of our generation, a modest, meager 15 of 28 for just 133 yards through the air and two interceptions. Jordan Love, 5 of 7 for 68. No touchdowns, no interceptions. I would say even if the reigning most valuable player in the NFL, if this doesn't remedy itself by the third or fourth week, Jordan Love is going to be behind center. There is just too much heat right now on Aaron Rodgers. And this is the Packers, man. This is a heritage brand. This isn't just, you know, some new team that showed up and all of a sudden is going through the motions. This is the Green Bay Packers. And they don't suffer fools. And right now, some may say that the fan base is being played for one as they hope that Aaron Rodgers is going to come around. Not sure if it will. But when you have a team that's got Randall Cobb, Devontae Adams, Mercedes Lewis, Amari Rodgers, and you put up 133 yards, that's a problem. And you can say what you want about the New Orleans Saints defense, and it's not bad as judged by the three points that they gave up, but Green Bay just never had anything momentum-wise. And on the ground, because they couldn't throw the ball, nobody got off running. A.J. Dillon, four carries, 19 yards. Kylan Hill, five carries, 14 yards. They didn't put it on the ground very often, but when they did, they didn't go far, and Green Bay is 0-1.
To the diamond we go, and I'll tell you this, man. I wouldn't want to play the Toronto Blue Jays right now. And I know what you're saying. Oh, here goes Rob, but it's Toronto Blue Jay Expeditions again. But realistically, when you look over the past two weeks, let's even stretch it out a day beyond two weeks. The Toronto Blue Jays are 13-2 and over that span and right now find themselves 17 games above 500 and do have claim to one of those two wildcard spots in the American League. Now the chase is going to be on. Now they are the hunted, not the hunters. Yankees just one game back. Oakland and Seattle are three games off the pace. That is the only group of teams that realistically has a shot at a spot in the wildcard. Angels, Cleveland, Detroit, all 10 games are more behind. It is basically a five-horse race coming around the final turn right now. Blue Jays have played 143 games. They've got three weeks to try and lock down one of these two playoff spots and get in with the big boys, the likes of Chicago, Houston, Tampa Bay. Will it be Boston or the Yankees? Think about this really quickly as I take a breath here. It could be Toronto. It could be Boston. It could be the Yankees. One of those teams is not getting into the postseason this year. What a story to see Toronto neck and neck with two of the most storied franchises in baseball history. On the National League side of things, it's tight as well. San Diego hanging on to one of those wild card spots, but they're also tied with Cincinnati. Cincinnati's got two games on them, so San Diego, if they can put together a couple of wins, should solidify at least the opportunity to take a deep breath for maybe, what, 24 hours, 36 hours? Guess what? Cincinnati's tied with San Diego. St. Louis is a game back. Philadelphia's two and a half games back. The Mets are three games back. And everybody's chomping at the bit right now. Hottest team of the group that I just mentioned. St. Louis, winners of two in a row. The Dodgers are looking to lock down that first wild card spot. They could lock that one down before we get to the weekend. Well, let's circle back on the Toronto Blue Jays very quickly. Now that I've given you the lay of the land when it comes to who's where and who's doing what, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., has 44 home runs on the season. 44 home runs on the season. It's as many as Shohei Otani. He's also got a better average. And right now, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is tied for third in RBI, five back of Jose Abreu with the White Sox. There is a legitimate shot right now that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. could win a triple crown. He is 22 years old and didn't have the best August, but he has come back guns blazing in September and could, if everything goes right and the Blue Jays continue to protect him in that batting lineup, win this at 22 years old, a triple crown. So I had a conversation the other day with somebody who said not long ago that the Blue Jays should have locked him up, signed him to an eight-year, $80 million contract. And you know what? Looking at that time... It might not have been a bad idea. Vladdy was out of shape. He was having a decent season. He was good and bad. The good was you knew that it was all there. The bad is that he wasn't taking care of himself physically. But he got that right in the offseason. Worked with John Schneider, the major league coach. And he has been lightning in a bottle all season long. So what is he going to cost the Toronto Blue Jays when his number comes up? I know nobody wants to talk about this right now because you're thinking about the postseason. You're thinking about pitching rotations, bullpens, and what have you. But if you're just going to pull the lens back a little bit. We were thinking about this with Bo Bichette a year ago when he was putting up those big numbers. But now you look at Vladdy. If he can go a full Major League season and flirt with a triple crown, where right now he is hanging out with the likes of Shohei Otani and Jose Abreu, this could become one of the biggest contracts in professional sports history. So two things come into play here. One, what is that number? And two, 
does Rogers Communications and the Toronto Blue Jays have that money to do it? The answer is yes, but it's a lot of money. We're not talking about Austin Matthews getting $10 million a season here. We're not talking about DeMar DeRozan or some of the big names that have come through the Raptors. This would be a contract unparalleled to any contract in the history of any sports team north of the 49th parallel. It will be ungodly. And if you use a comparable right now and you go down to San Diego and you look at what Fernando Tatis Jr. got, which starts with a three and has eight numbers after it, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., if he does what he does this year, could be asking for more than that. I got to think that there is potential that if you were to put enough term behind it and you were to work the numbers the way that some of the best agents in sports can, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. could be a $400 million baseball player. Don't think that it can't happen. And the amazing thing is he's probably in this day and age worth every penny for a team that could look at a 22-year-old for the next decade in the middle of their order putting up triple crown numbers and if he stays healthy which he pretty much has for the most part of his career wow what a story and what a moment from vladimir guerrero jr does he want to stay in toronto two years ago i would have said not a chance but mark shapiro and ross atkins have built that organization up the right way their training facilities their abilities to work with him personally professionally they've done a lot of things let me put it to you this way Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins have done everything within their power to try and make this environment for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. work. If he still, after everything they've done, wants to test free agency or dare we say wants to go south of the border and try his luck with a different team, then that's not on the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays have done everything in their power to try and make this an environment where Vladimir Guerrero Jr. can do big things. Damn it. Hope he signs. And then they got to go get Bo. <laughs> which is not going to be easy. And then they got to deal with Teoscar Hernandez. And, oh, my gosh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., you feel like this might be the window right now for the Blue Jays to do something because, as crazy as it sounds, there's a couple young guys that are on the cusp of seeking some very big contracts, and I'm not sure if the Blue Jays are going to be able to keep all of these bright young talents in-house. Well, I just wanted to touch on this briefly just to say that we had a little bit of hockey talk here, but I'm not sure if you caught this. Have you ever heard of the hashtag Stanley Tweets? You could have a tweet right now that is hanging in the NHL Hockey Hall of Fame in Toronto. There's a large plaque in the shape of the Stanley Cup that features hockey-related tweets that pay tribute to the sport and those who love it. This coming from NHL.com. 52 tweets with the hashtag Stanley Tweets can be seen. The same number of names that are engraved on the cup each year. Now, your tweets do have to go up against Justin Trudeau's, Tom Brady's, Joe Biden's, as the Hockey Hall of Fame obviously wants to go out and get some of the big names. But there are some average Joe fans that are etched in the metal and now displayed in the Hockey Hall of Fame. 52 finalists. They are showcased and you can go to NHL.com to learn more. Could you imagine if Canuck Twitter was to become a part of this conversation? Oh, and by the way, other people that have their tweets in the Hall of Fame, third baseman Wade Boggs of baseball fame, and WWE star Titus O'Neil. I like the idea, and I hope they stick with it. Want to touch on the UFC very quickly? As they're getting ready for UFC Fight Night on September the 18th, a couple of days from now, the headliner Anthony Smith against Ryan Spann. Smith looking for his 36th professional victory. Nicholas Moda, 12-3, getting ready to take on Cameron Van Camp, 15-5-1.
And in the squared circle, before I get to NEW results, let's really quickly touch on AEW. Some big winners from Rampage, Rebel, Jamie Hayter, and Britt Baker getting over on Chris Statlander, Riho, and Ruby Soho, and Brian Pillman Jr. picking up a victory over Max Caster. Well, Nation Extreme Wrestling made its debut. Oh, I know what you're thinking. You're like, boy, you're going to pump your own promotion? You're damn right. A two-sellout crowd night, a 2 p.m. sellout, a 7 p.m. sellout, Vancouver wrestling fans got their fix in a big way at the Gaming Stadium, and let's tell you how the main events went. The 2 p.m. show saw Nicole Matthews and Veda Scott. This took about 30 seconds for Veda Scott and Nicole Matthews to go from friendly foes to straight-up enemies. Scott's got a really fiery persona, and it didn't mix well with the brash bravado of Nicole Matthews. In the end, it was Nicole who defends British Columbia with a hard-fought win that capped off the afternoon show. There were some great showings. Judas Icarus beating Daniel Maccabe and Evan Rivers getting over Fergie. The 7 p.m. show was an absolute rocker. Started with Judas Icarus beating Travis Williams. That had some of the biggest hits that I've seen in an indie show in some time, and it was just the first of eight matches. Sebastian Wolf, a bright young upstart, taking on Evan Rivers, another big newcomer, and Sebastian Wolf gets the victory. This one went out onto the street, right onto number three road in Richmond. I'd never seen anything like that before, right onto the lawn, and uh, the crowd was thinking it was pretty awesome. Veda Scott had her match change at the last second, and she finally grabbed the ring announcer's microphone. Ryan Ventura said, give me the mic, and called out anybody in the NEW locker room Jackie Lee responded to it, one half of the tag team reloaded, and Veda Scott backed up her talk and picked up a win, and then went ringside and began ripping up fan signs to simply rub in her win over Lee. Nicole Matthews and Daniel Maccabe, in one of the most technically advanced, passionate matches I've ever seen, this co-made event chess match between Matthews and Maccabe was must-view wrestling. In the end, it was Daniel Maccabe who finally found his lock, and Matthews tapped out, but this was a five-star match by both. Sharif Morrow with the upset of the card, beating Bishop, and it was surprising to many. Sharif got beat nearly the entire matchup, but a rare miscue from Bishop. All of a sudden, Morrow takes advantage gets the pin and limps back down the aisle as Bishop just stared at him in disbelief. He couldn't believe he got pinned. The marquee event and probably one of the best indie matches we've seen in Vancouver in four or five years at least. Artemis Spencer and Mike Bailey. Every wrestling company hopes for a quote moment and for the NEW main event, it was absolutely everything anybody could have expected. Pacific Northwest legend Artemis Spencer coming off a victory on the 2 p.m. card, taking on speedball Mike Bailey from Montreal, who is considered by many to be the hottest indie talent in North America, punishing. It was unbelievable to watch. The attack, the counterattack, the sellout NEW crowd on their feet repeatedly as fans looked at each other almost in disbelief. Broken tables, bone-rattling kicks, takedowns, but it was Spencer who finally struck from the top rope, getting an extremely hard-fought win over Speedball to cap off NEW1. And you will be able to watch that on social media probably in the next two to three days. 
All right, that wraps up this edition of Sports Bar Radio. I am Rob Faye. Thank you so much to everybody who supported Nation Extreme Wrestling this past weekend and for checking in on this podcast today. I'll be back at it tomorrow. I look forward to having you join me then. My thanks to Jay Swing, my producer extraordinaire, brother from another mother, and also to everybody at Equity Guru, who I also got to see this weekend. From Galen and Asan, J.P. Chung, and the irreplaceable Priscilla Choi to Chris Perry, thank you for the opportunities both here and in the squared circle. I will see you in less than 24 hours from now. This has been Sports Bar Radio presented by Equity Guru. Take care, everybody. This segment is brought to you by The Gaming Stadium, Canada's pioneering leaders in online esports tournaments. Specializing in tools for league operators, tournament streaming, venue management, and community building. TGS has become a global leader in esports events, sponsorship, and production. With regular online tourneys for Fortnite, Rainbow Six, Call of Duty, Rocket League, and more, visit www.thegamingstadium.com to sign up and play. For investor information, check out the ticker symbol TGS. Sports Bar Radio was brought to you by Equity Guru, investment information for the new generation. Visit us at equity.guru and let's make some money together. Please note, any mention of companies on this podcast is part of a promotional campaign, and the information you hear should be a part of extensive due diligence. As well, always get advice from an accredited financial advisor before you make any investment decision. Protect yourself.